Well, if you would turn with us in the scripture to John, the eighth chapter. For some weeks now, we've been on the subject of becoming a disciple of Jesus. You think that's a good idea? Becoming a disciple of Jesus. In verse 31 of John 8, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. A lot of times it's quoted this 32nd verse, you'll know the truth and truth will make you free, but it's quoted by itself. But really you could and should ask the question, who's going to know the truth? Who's going to be set free? Because verse 31 specifies that, doesn't it? Who's going to know the truth and be set free? Now, this is important. It's not just because you heard some things and memorized some scriptures that you're set free. This word know involves the idea of experiencing. And uh, a disciple of the Lord is a learner, but not just a learner. Perhaps a better word is follower. You know, Jesus' disciples, they did sit and hear him teach. But they did more than that. They traveled with him. They were involved in the miracle of the loaves and fishes. He sent them out. And they prayed for people and laid hands on people. They they weren't just learners. They were followers or you could say doers. And you can see that there's a difference between being a believer and being a disciple. You're not a disciple automatically because you believe on Jesus. And what we're talking about is moving beyond simply believing on Jesus and becoming a disciple. We've got millions of church-going people that are only believers. And there's a lot of folk, if you say too much about serving, they don't like it. (laughs) They're like, look. I'll come if I want to, when I want to, and I believe on the Lord, and I'm just as saved as you or anybody. Well, great. But an attitude like that will cause you to focus on yourself and your life decade after decade, and you'll get to the end of your life, and you'll be saved, but by fire, and you'll have no fruit. And no rewards. And you'll have a lot of learning. And developing to do. After this life. You'll get out of here. And you'll be saved. But you'll realize. Man. I'm Ned in the first reader. (laughs) I wish I'd have paid more attention. Because you know. I guess people think. That you get out of this life. Instantly. You're just amazingly developed. No, no. The things you're learning in this life about how to be led by the Spirit, how to walk in love, how to walk by faith, this development goes with you into the next life. And if it's not there, well, you've got to learn it sometime. 
Got to be developing sometime. Now, again, we've got millions of people. They are only believers. And that's all they want. But then there's other folks that are willing to serve the Lord. Hmm? Not only are they believers, they want to be doers of the word. They want to get involved in the service of the Lord. And these are those that can be disciples. We see in Luke 6, and you can, they can just put it up on the screen for us, Luke 6.40. Luke 6.40 tells us the purpose of being a disciple. Verse 40 says, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Is it possible to be like the master in this life, in this world? A lot of people don't think so, but it is. It's what we're called to. The Amplified says, Everyone, when he's completely trained, readjusted, restored, set to rights, and perfected, will be like his teacher. The English version says, When he's completed his training, he'll be like his teacher. He'll be like his teacher. Another verse in that same passage, verse 46, said this, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? There are people that call him Lord, but they don't do what he says. They don't follow him. They just believe in him. How many have a hunger to go beyond simply believing in him? And let's follow him and become like him. Be changed. Let me read this to you from Romans 8. Well, excuse me. Put up Ephesians 4.13 first, please. Ephesians 4.13 in the Amplified. He said, Until we attain oneness in the faith and the comprehension of the full and accurate knowledge of the Son of God, that we might arrive at really mature manhood. Growing up. We know he wants us to grow up. The completeness of personality, which is nothing less than the standard height of Christ's own perfection. This is what we're called to. The measure of the stature of the fullness of the Christ and the completeness found in Him. Is this high? It's exceedingly high. Is it too high? Beyond our reach? No, it is not. By the grace of God. By the Spirit of God, by the power of the Word of God in our life, if we'll believe and follow Him, we can become like Him in this life. Now, if you don't believe it, you can't even get started. How many believe the Bible? You believe the Scripture? Romans says we're predestinated to be conformed to the image of His Son. 1 John 3, 2 says, now are we the sons of God. 1 John 4.17 1 John 4.17 says because as he is so are we where? Not when we get to heaven. When and where? In this world. That's now. That's what Paul was talking about when he said forgetting those things that are behind. You didn't measure up fully to Christ's perfection yesterday. But forget about it. And reach toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Like that Olympic athlete, training and strict discipline, 
to reach that goal. Like that soldier training and enduring hardness. So many Christians haven't thought that way about their walk with the Lord. But we're supposed to. I said we're supposed to. So many just think, well, I believe in him. That's it. I go to church when I feel like it. What else is there? A lot. There's a lot more than that. Every day we're supposed to get up and like an Olympic athlete reaching for the gold, like a special forces soldier training and enduring hardness, we're supposed to be reaching. We're supposed to be changing. We're supposed to be, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it hurts, we're supposed to be getting things off of us and getting things changed in us. Why? To become like Him. I said to become like Him. If we put a spotlight on you today and stood you up beside Jesus and we said, how close are you to being just like him? What would we say? 95% like Jesus? 70% like Jesus? Okay, 40, 20%, 3.5%. Well, if it is a lower number, what does that mean? That means you've got a lot of changing to do. And you need to get to it. <laughs> See, this is the real problem. It's not just that people are not like Jesus. We're talking about Christians. Now, we know unbelievers are not going to be like Him. It's not just that believers, church-going people, are not like Jesus. It's that they are content to stay unlike Him and make excuses. Well, I'm just an old sinner. Saved by grace. Well, I'm just a man. Well, I'm just... No, no, no. You are capable of much more than what you're letting yourself off to be. You're not holding yourself to the standard that you should be. What are you and I capable of? We are capable of thinking and talking and believing and praying and living and ministering just Like Him. It's available to us. Does it come automatically? No. Does it come easily? No. Man, you got to train like an Olympic athlete. You got to train like a special forces soldier. It's going to take something. You every day you got to hit it. How much like Him can you be? How you going to get there? Well, how much are you willing to change? How much are you willing to be corrected? How much can you change? That's how much you can be like him. But the moment where you get to the place where eh, you start getting your feathers ruffled and you're tired of being told you need to change. Well, I told me I had to change last week. (laughs) Change, change, change. You're never satisfied. Always something else. Well, let's look at the alternative. Are you saying you think you have arrived at Christ-like perfection right now? Then what does it mean then? It means you need to change some more. And until you get there, you're going to need to change. And that's why not everybody is his disciple. But if you love him and you want to be like him, you're willing to change anything and everything. You're willing to give up and leave anything and everything. That's what it takes to be a disciple. I said, that's what it takes. Go with me to John, please. John 6. 
Believers are content just to come to church when and if they feel like it. Disciples, however, are serious. Serious about living for the Lord. And they're serious about serving the Lord. And they prove it with their life, their energies, their talents, their time, their money. They're in their serving. They're in their doing. John 6. There's something in this chapter that we need to look at. And it shows how that though some became disciples, they afterwards quit. And I think a number of people already are stirred up in here, in this church, and our e-members stirred up about being a disciple and already are making that commitment in their heart and mind. Yes, I want to be a disciple. Yes, I'm willing to do what it takes. But this we need to know. Many, though they started down that road to be his disciple and became his disciple for a little while, later became offended and quit. And stop trying and stop being his disciple. And it is a serious matter that we need to watch for and be on guard that it doesn't happen to us. John 6, are you there? John 6, in the beginning of this chapter, this is a long chapter, we see the miracle of the feeding of the multitudes. The thousands ate and were satisfied off of a little boy's lunch. And they had, what was it, 12 baskets left over. Miracle. Well, all the people that were there, that made a huge impression on them. Brother, I mean Jesus' popularity skyrocketed. Everybody there knew it was a miracle. It was amazing. And in verse uh, 14... Those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, they said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. And Jesus, therefore, perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king. He departed again into a mountain himself alone. So thousands of people said, man, this is him. He's the one. They wanted to follow him. And so when they went across the lake and they realized that they were gone, they all followed him. Now, what is a disciple? Follower. We got thousands of people that are saying, we want to follow you. They wanted to force him to become their leader, whether he wanted to or not. They are enamored with him. They're impressed with him, as rightly they should be. But it didn't last long. I said it didn't last long. Verse 28, they came and they said to him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Thousands of people. Could have been as many as 15 or 20,000 people. They didn't go to work. They didn't go back home. They didn't go to school. They paid for passage across the lake. They all showed up out there and they found him. And they said, what can we do? What can we do to do the works of God? They're reporting for duty. They want to be his disciples. They want to follow him. What did he tell them? Verse 29. What did he tell them? This is the work of God. What is it? That you believe on him whom he has sent. Who was that? As the one that was talking. Now I think this was too simple for him. 
as it is a lot of folks today. They thought, oh yeah, we already believe on you. Yeah, no problem with that. You the man. (laughs) I mean, that miracle yesterday was over the top, man. We're here, ain't we? We're here. Let's do this thing. Let's work the works of God. Let's work. He said, here it is. You need to believe on me. They didn't see it. They didn't get it. When the Lord tells you something that you think you've already got, <laughs> get a clue. You don't know what's coming up. Right? And just a few verses later, Jesus gives them a new teaching that they haven't heard. Verse 48, he said, I am that bread of life. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. This caused a rumbling. You could hear the people talking throughout these thousands. The Jews therefore strove among themselves. They said, how in the world is he going to give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to him, verily, verily, I say to you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He made it worse. He knew where they were. He knew what they were doing. And he just keeps going. He said, uh, verse 54, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. It's just getting worse. You can almost see the crowd. Every time he says this, they're going, uh, uh. Uh, what? What's he talking about? Cannibalism? What? What? He went on. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, I live by the Father. So he that eats me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eats of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many. Somebody say many. Many therefore of who? Of his disciples. When they had heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? The Amplified says, who can stand to hear this? This is a hard, difficult, strange saying. Who can stand to hear it? Who can be expected to listen to such teaching? Whose teaching are they talking about? Now, it's easy for us to sit here and think, oh, man, if I was there now. No, I'd have never said that. It's easy to imagine that you are unoffendable, but the opposite is true. 
except by the grace of God and you make some real quality decisions beforehand, it can happen to you. And it's a serious matter. I said it's a serious matter. It puts you in a bad situation. This is not the only time this happened. There are more than one teaching that people got offended with Jesus about. You remember when he taught on uh, the Spirit of the Lord's on me because he's anointed me. Man, it made them so mad they wanted to kill him. Another occasion when he taught about the leaven of the Pharisees. His own bunch didn't understand. In fact, go to Mark 8. Hold your place here. Well, I'm not quite through with this. But you'll have Mark 8 ready. Many of his disciples there in verse 60, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear this? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said to them, does this offend you? He is not trying to comfort them over this. Is he? Why? This is a test. I said this is a test of who's going to follow and who's not. In order to be his disciple, you must continue to follow when you don't understand. He looked at him, he said, does this offend you? What and if you see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It's the Spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. He gives them the explanation right here. But they didn't hear it. They didn't see it. And Mark 8 tells you why. Did you have Mark 8? This is the explanation. He told them. But they didn't get it. They didn't hear it. Mark 8 and verse 15. Says then he charged them saying. Take heed beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves. And they said it's because we have no bread. Now see natural people. Only think natural. And when they hear spiritual things. They don't try to make them mean natural. That's all they see and hear. When Jesus said, the flesh profits nothing, all they're thinking about is his body that they can see and flesh and blood. Jesus is the Word. The Word was made flesh. He said, it's not the flesh profits nothing. It's the words I speak unto you. Their spirit and their life. And how many know whether you understood that or not, it's the absolute truth. That without his flesh, word made flesh, without his blood, you cannot have eternal life. But they did not understand, even when he's trying to explain it to them and give them some enlightenment, they didn't get it. Why? Mark 8 16, they're trying to make this all natural. They said, he's upset because we didn't take any bread. And that wasn't even what he was talking about. Verse 17, Jesus knew it. He said to them, why reason ye because you have no bread? 
You could say the same thing about that other situation. Why reason ye about eating my flesh and drinking my blood? Why are you laboring about that? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Have you your heart yet hardened? Why didn't they understand when he gave them revelation about it? Because they had already hardened their heart. They did it to themselves. And when you harden your heart, you cannot understand. It's a dangerous place. Well, if you can't understand, where are you? You're in the dark, and you're going to stay in the dark. And you stumble and fall in the dark. You're supposed to be on the path of light where it's getting brighter and brighter. Hmm? If it's getting brighter, you're getting more understanding. You're seeing more and understanding more. But it's going to take faith. Somebody say faith. And you're going to have to stay in faith and keep following when you don't understand if you're going to get the understanding. Go back to John 6, please. Can you tell me why they didn't understand this? They made a decision. When it first started sounding strange to their ears, they made a decision to harden themselves against it. And boy, the moment you do that, light is off. Now, not only are you not getting it, you can't get it with a hard heart. Think about it. What's the opposite of a hard heart? Soft or open. Open. Teachable. But when you harden, you close. Closed heart. Well, you're not going to get it when you're closed off to it. Keep reading. John 6. He said, verse 65, well, verse 64, There are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I to you that no man can come to me except it were given to him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They left him. And we don't have record that they came back later. How many think that's a terrible thing? They started out, they were so excited about the miracles and the teaching. They all showed up. They're willing to set their life aside and become a disciple and follow him. And they said, show us how to do the works of God. We're ready. And then one teaching. And they said, no, I can't go along with that. What's he talking about? Cannibalism. He wasn't talking about cannibalism. But that's what they went off and told everybody. I said, that's what they went off and told everybody. He's preaching cannibalism. He's off. He's crazy. He's nuts. But he wasn't crazy. Hmm? And he wasn't wrong. And some way or another people feel like if you don't understand, it gives you an excuse to quit. This is happening all over the place. If you don't understand something, 
You don't like something and you don't understand something, well, you can just quit. And what folks don't realize is when they're quitting people that are serving God, they're quitting churches, they're quitting ministries, they're quitting God. Oh, can you see it, friends? And how did it happen? They got offended at something, something they didn't like, something they didn't understand, and they felt like, well, I'm not going to keep going with this. I don't understand this, and I don't like this, and so I'm out of here. I'm quitting. Well, friend, when you say, I don't understand, I don't understand, all that means is it's something you don't understand. <laughs> That's all it means. And really, you should have already known that there's a whole lot you don't understand. But if you don't understand it, how in the world are you ever going to find out when you harden your heart and unhook and go away? You're not. Once you harden your heart, now you're not going to understand. And it's sad. It's sad. There are millions of Christians out of church, backslid, not serving anywhere. They're miffed. They're mad at fellow believers. They're mad at preachers. They're mad at deacons. They're upset because there's stuff they didn't like and stuff they didn't understand. And so they quit. And so they stay home. And so they just do what they want to do and don't realize they have quit the Lord. They're looking at people. But they've quit the Lord. They've turned back from following Him. Over what? Now, I want you to notice, Jesus didn't chase these folks. He didn't get back up and go, please don't go. Please don't go. Many of them left. Many of them. I reckon that's thousands. Thousands of them said, you take our name off your mail list. And we won't be back to any of your meetings. And he didn't say, Please, please, don't go. Come back. Let me explain what I mean. But uh -uh. uh-uh. Uh-uh. No. In fact, he turns to the ones that are still there. And what did he say? Jesus looked over the twelve. He said, "Uh, will you also go away? You want to leave too? Now see. People have concocted a Disney World Jesus, a Baptist Jesus, a Presbyterian Jesus, a Catholic Jesus, a Charismatic Jesus, a Word of Faith Jesus, got all these ideas, by the way, hey, this is Jesus, the Bible Jesus, that's Jesus, and he's love, he is, but here's the thing. The Bible said, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, what does it say? You are not worthy. This is not understood enough. You know, I talk to other ministers and pastors and some of them find my ways strange. Some of them are scared to preach certain things that I preach. They say, oh, man, some people might leave. Oh, man, you know, Brother Keith, people might not give if you tell that. It's a privilege to be in the church. 
It's a privilege to serve in the church. It's a privilege to sow in the church. And if you're the kind of person who wants somebody to run after you, plead with you and beg you to come back and beg you to come in, that's not Jesus. I said, that's not him. If you feel that way, you are not worthy to serve. People don't understand what's going on. They want somebody to run after them. Plead with them, beg them to get back in. If you had any sense, you'd be begging us to let you back in. (laughs) To let you help. Let you do something. Because your life's going to be over just about like that. And there's going to be no reward for how much shopping you did. How much fishing you did. How much golfing you did. How much you sat at home and whiled away the hours. Man, we better get to the business. Life is short. Time's ticking. He's coming. We talked about it Friday night. There are some awesome, fearful things coming on this planet. We need to know who we are and what we're doing. And not play around. Jesus didn't run after them. He didn't plead with them to stay. Why? They proved the love wasn't there. Psalm 119. Put it up on the screen for me if you would. What is it? 119, 165? Yeah. What does it say? Great peace have they which what? Love. Now all they had was the law. We got the whole word and counsel. We got the word made flesh. So I'm in no loving the word is loving Jesus. He is the word. Great peace have they that love the word. Great peace have they that love the Lord. And what else? And what else? You can't run them off. You can't. If you love the Lord enough, nothing can run you off. Are y'all with me now? Nothing can offend you. And if you look at this word offend, it means to trip, to stumble. It also means to get mad, to become angry. It means to become indignant, to become insulted and feelings hurt. Basically, it's mad and hurt. And one definition of Hebrew scholars says it like this, to cause to no longer believe in. And that's exactly what happened. They didn't understand it. They didn't like it. They got annoyed. They got perturbed. They got mad. It just got worse. And then they quit. They left him. They no longer believed in him. They no longer followed him. Which proved the commitment wasn't there to begin with. It proved the faith and love wasn't there to begin with. They were just riding the wagon because it was popular. Oh, man, we're having a move of God, having a move of God. Woo, woo. We're having 12 baskets left over. We're all crossing the lake, going to the big meeting. 20,000 people there. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. But the love wasn't there. Commitment wasn't there. When you love the Lord enough, even when you don't understand, you'll say, Well, they must have loved him, the twelve. I said they must have loved him. Because I don't think they understood it any more than the rest of them. (laughs) 
you can tell from their response. I think they're scratching their head probably as much as the rest of the people going, wow, this is some teaching. You think he's going to let the CD out on this one, man? What would the media do with this? Oh, whoa. And he turns and looks at them. Thousands have just left him permanently. Of his disciples. The Bible uses the word disciples. They were not just occasional attender. They were followers of his. And they said, we can't handle this. I don't know what's wrong with you. You're off. No, we can't hear this kind of stuff. And they left, left permanently. He turns and looks at the 12. He says, do you want to go too? I don't think they understood it any better than the ones that left. But they had a different response. And the bottom line is they stayed. Why? When you love the Lord, nothing can offend you. You love Him enough, nothing can shake you and run you off from Him and what He told you to do. What did He say, John 6? Do you want to go too? Will you go away? Verse 68, Peter pipes up. Lord, where are we going to go? (laughs) To whom shall we go? Why would you say such a thing? They must have thought about it. We're having a mass exodus. Jesus, multiple thousand people meeting just vanished. They just left by the thousands, mad, not to return. And they're stunned. They're going, whoa. The thought must have crossed their mind. Why would you say this? But he says, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now see, I don't think they probably realized it, but he is talking the revelation that Jesus just gave. Oh, come on, can you see it? That's what he said. He said, the flesh profits nothing. Don't get hung up on that. The words I'm saying to you, that's the flesh. That's the word. That's the life. The word's been made flesh. And here he pipes up and says, by the Spirit. I don't think he half understands what he's saying. He said, you have the words of eternal life. That's the revelation. He was giving them. And he's got it, even though he doesn't fully understand it. Or the rest of them, why? Because they didn't close their heart. They're still there. They didn't close their heart. They're already getting revelation of what he was talking about. Oh, come on, can you see? Just because they didn't run off offended and mad and upset they're still there he said you have the words of eternal life and we do believe and we are sure that you are the Christ the son of the living God and you might have thought Jesus would have said glory to God I knew I could count on y'all come here boys give me a hug but he didn't say that he looked at him and said didn't I choose 12 of you and one of you's a devil Woo! It's one of them days, man. You know, if a pastor acted like this, and yet you'd be acting just like Jesus. Because <laughs> the twelve had told him, yeah, we're going to stay. He said, yeah, but one of you's a devil. 
That puts us down to 11. But they followed him. Come on, come on. They, they followed him. Oh, do you see this, friends? <laughs> he was talking about Judas. And he was right. I said he was right. He was right. Go with me, please, to Hosea. <laughs> Thank you, Master. Hosea, the sixth chapter. It's been entirely too easy for the devil to get people into offense. Oh, man. And can you see this where he says, endure hardness like a good soldier. Discipline yourself like an Olympic athlete. What's the opposite of that? Being a little tender baby. Any little thing hurts your feelings. Any little thing gets you mad and upset. You don't understand or you don't see why or you don't know how come. Get mad. Quit. Leave. That's not how Olympic athletes train. That's not how soldiers train and operate. When you love the Lord enough, nothing can offend you. Oh, it may try. Feelings may come. Thoughts may come. But it can't drive you away from Him. I said it can't drive you away from Him. Glory to God. And when it can't drive you away from him, ain't nothing going to drive him away from you. (laughs) So you are secure. The Lord gave me this phrase. Where are you? Go to Romans. Hold your place. Hold your place. What are you laughing about? Don't get offended. (laughs) Romans 8 Romans 8 we read this verse 29 whom he did foreknow what he did predestinate to what to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren many brethren I might say just like him glory Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. Somebody say, that's us. That's us. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Glory to God. And then he went on to say in verse 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to do what? How many understand? He's talking about nothing. Nothing in heaven, nothing on earth, no angel, no demon, no sin, no past, no present, no future, no human, no problem, no failure. Nothing can do what? Can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But here's the deal. That's if the enemy can't separate you from him. If nothing can separate you from him, nothing can separate his love and keeping from you. 
The devil knows that. The, the devil, all the cohorts of hell, <laughs> everything he's got cannot blast through God's love for you and destroy you. Anything he could ever put together cannot do it. He knows that. No need for him to try to come that way. He can't come through God to you and hurt you. What he can do through his subtlety, his deceptiveness, is deceive you and get you offended and mad and get you to leave God. And if he can do that, then it's open season on you. He can get to you. Because you've left the Lord. You've left him. What do you think about all those people that left Jesus? You think it went good in life for them? You think they had problems and troubles? Why? Was it the Lord's fault? Could they have stayed with the Lord? Could they have followed him like the twelve did? Yeah. But it takes sticking and staying when you don't understand. When it ain't adding up. When you don't like the sound of it. Come on. If this is true with Jesus, it's going to be true with everybody else under him. In fact, other people could even do something dumb. But that's really not the point. If the Lord told you to be somewhere... You better be there and not let anything move you. If the Lord told you to help somebody, you better stay there. Oh, come on, friends. Is this true? Is this real? If you leave there, if you leave them, did you leave the Lord? Yes, because he's the one that told you to do it. And if you love him enough, nothing can separate you from him. Kind of reminds me of Elijah and Elisha. Remember that? Elijah said, you can stay here. He said, no way. No. As the Lord lives and you live, I'm staying. Another place, he said, well, you can stay here. He said, no, no, the Lord told me to stay with you. So here we go. I was reminded earlier this morning when I was serving Brother Hagin. I had served with him for years. And then we had resigned from Ramah. I had talked to him about giving more time to our ministry that was a lot of demands for it. And, and he told me, he said, well, you're not getting any younger, boy. You're going to do something, you better get to it. And so, uh, you know, we all felt good about it. And we went into our own ministry, doing our own meetings all the time. And well, in a time of prayer, the Lord revealed to me, he said, uh, I never released you from helping Brother Hagin. I had assumed that one meant the other. I didn't know I could do both. And most of the folk I had seen that left like that, they went into their own ministry full time and they weren't a helps any longer there. And the Lord told me, I didn't release you from helping him. I thought, whoa. So Phyllis and I got to praying about it, talking about it, and then we found them and asked them, could we help them more? And they prayed about it. They allowed us to for several years after that, some rich times. But one of the first times that I was with him back again, and you know you're in different flows. I had been ministering in a different way and had not been with him for a little while. Now I'm back with him. I'm used to doing things a little bit differently, and I'm helping him. I'm a helps minister to him now. And he called me up to do something, 
I started to do it, and, and it seemed like I had something else. I asked him, was that okay? And he said, no, I'll just go with that. So I tried it a little bit. didn't seem like it was going too good. So I asked him about doing the other. Not smart. He said, no, I'll just go ahead and do the other. Well, I kind of fumbled with it a little bit, and I kept thinking, well, maybe I should go the other way. So I brought it up again. He said, all right, just do it. I mean, no, not good. And for some reason, I didn't see it. I just, you know, have you ever not seen something? And I took the service a wrong direction. It just got deader and deader. It's his service. And I just drove it in a ditch. <laughs> and that service is, he, we closed it out, dead as a doornail. And went back to the hotel room. Man, I felt bad. Ah, I mean, it wasn't clear to me then, but by the time I got back to the room, man, I'm hurting. I knew I messed up bad. And I, I'm taking a bath and crying. <laughs> God. Finally, I called him, called his room. It, we called him Dad. It was a respectful term. I said, Dad, I'm sorry. I missed it. He said, I know it. I said, Dad, I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. I, he said, that's all right. He said, just stay hooked. He said, just don't quit me now. Stay hooked. Boy, that's a word. I said, that's a word. Somebody say, stay hooked. Stay hooked. What do you do when you don't understand? What did they do? They unhooked. Why? Because they didn't understand. And they didn't like it. But here's the thing. So you don't understand something. How are you going to find it? By unhooking and leaving. And hardening your heart. Now you're never going to get it. You can't get it. In that spiritual condition of a closed hardened heart. If you don't see something, if you don't understand something, how are you going to get it? Hosea tells us. Hosea, what was it, the sixth chapter? Six and three. How are you going to find out? Then shall we know. When are you going to know? You're going to know if we follow on. Keep following. Isn't that disciple talk? A disciple's a follower. If we follow on to know the Lord, that's how and when you're going to find out the things you didn't know and didn't see and didn't understand. I didn't realize what powerful counsel he was giving me over the phone. I know his love came through for me. <laughs> Thank God for that. How many know the Lord cares about you no matter how far off you get? He's telling you, don't quit me. Don't quit me now. Stay with me. Stay hooked. Keep following me. You keep following me, you'll get it. You'll see it. It'll come clear to you. You'll get straightened out. But you get miffed. You get offended. You get mad. You get hurt. You quit. You leave. You unhook. Now you're in real trouble. Because not only do you not have it, you can't get it in that state. 
you won't, I mean, you can go the rest of your life and never see it. And staying out of what God hooked you to, you're not getting fed. You're not getting ministered to. You're not exercising your faith. You're not being of service. You're not getting fruit. You're losing reward by the day. Come on now. It's going to affect your mind. It's going to affect your health. It's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect your finances. Because you're not in your wealthy place. You got aught in your heart. Unforgiveness. Hard-hearted. Mad and upset. Talking about people. Friend, this is a miserable life. And you're the most miserable. How many think the twelve made the right choice? Yes, sir. <laughs> no matter who leaves. That's right. If you love the Lord enough, nothing can tear you away from Him. Nothing can offend you and hurt you and make you mad enough and confuse you enough that you're going to leave Him. Or leave what He told you to do. Can you say amen? amen? Stand on your feet, everybody. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hebrews tells us we are not of them that draw back. Say that out loud. I am not of them that draw back, of them that turn back. Nope. Father, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your anointing. We know that no matter what, you are very gracious. You're always ready to forgive. We thank you for your mercies that endure forever. Your loving kindnesses and compassions that do not fail. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.